millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. <gasps> the book! I know! Where do you want to sit? Um, oh! I'll go here. I want to sit where the present is. Yeah. What's that? It was so exciting. Oh, should I open it on air? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Everything on air. Save everything. (laughs) Save it all. You're listening to Feminists Don't Wear Pink, the podcast, based on the book Feminists Don't Wear Pink and Other Lies, a collection of writing by 52 women on what feminism means to them. I'm Scarlett Curtis. I'm a writer, activist, journalist, and very, very proud feminist. I'm also the curator of this book and the presenter of the podcast. Feminism can be a big and loud protest and it can also be a small and quiet revolution. Our hope is that this book really shows the huge and beautiful differences in each and every person's personal understanding of this huge word. During this series, I'm going to be talking to a few of the amazing contributors who've written our book to find out how they found their feminism and some of the lies that they've been told about what it means to be a woman. My first guest also happens to be my best friend. Saoirse Ronan, as well as having incredible taste in friends, is an Irish actor and, if I do say so myself, a true national treasure. She's the recipient of four BAFTA nominations, an actual Golden Globe, and last year she received her third Oscar nomination for the film Lady Bird, which was a truly wonderful and thoroughly feminist coming-of-age story. Sasha and I became friends just over three years ago when I was living in New York and she was starring in The Crucible on Broadway. This year, Sasha will star as Mary Queen of Scots in the film Mary Queen of Scots and Joe in Greta Gerwig's Little Women. She's a force to be reckoned with and if you can't tell from this conversation, I love her a lot. Hello, Sasha Ronan. Hi, Scarlett Thank Curtis. Thank you for coming and being the first guest on my podcast. So it's very exciting to have you as the first guest because you're the first essay in the book. Oh, I didn't know I was the first essay. Well, no, I'm the first because I wrote the introduction. (laughs) And you've also got something next to your book. Oh, yes. Yeah. I've got my Prezi, which I'm opening on the air. It's like an ASMR unboxing. Oh, my God. Can I tell them what it is? It's... So it's from Tati Divine. And it's a necklace with a silver chain. (laughs) And it says, feminists don't wear pink. Which is not true. It's a lie. It's a lie. It's a lie. Oh, I love that. I'm going to put that on now. So my first question is, Saoirse Ronan, are you a feminist? 
I am a feminist. Amazing. You, I think you've made me realise that I am one. Is that really true? I honestly think that is, and I think, like, even when I was trying to figure out what to write for the book, I was trying to track back to when I realised... And I, I do think it was when we just started becoming friends and there was so much that I didn't know that you did and it didn't feel intimidating. And this is the thing, this is the great thing about learning that I am a feminist through you and because of your experience and stuff is that you're very supportive and very sort of open to explaining it to people who maybe aren't as sort of well-educated in the subject or the cause or the movement or whatever you want to call it. For me, when I met you, I'd been, you know, kind of locked away for so many years, like reading about all this stuff, was mm. very interested in it, but had never fully, like, felt it. It's kind of mad to me that you never thought that you were a feminist before because you embody everything that I see, like, a strong woman as being, and so I think you oh, really wow. helped with that. OK, now that's <laughs> anyway, over. Um, got that out of the way. But that is also really interesting because your mum, who I love so much, yeah. is very strong and very, you know, amazing and has raised you in the most incredible way. Was it never something that you talked about when you were growing up? No, I I, I really don't think um, in our world that that was, that was something that we were even aware of. Yeah. I didn't know what feminism was growing up and I think in a lot of ways my mum embodied that too when I think that, that sense of... Um, independence and empowerment and stuff that that she had that she just sort of gained through life experience it just mm. sort of like organically happened for her this is what I felt that I could write about in the book is that I think it was something that always sort of existed in us but we yeah. just we didn't have a name for it you know even I didn't growing up and so it's been quite an exciting thing over the last few years to go like oh yeah actually I feel like that's been something that's been inside me since I was a kid you know completely um, I love that but yeah and and it's also been wonderful sort of learning that about myself and then being able to go back to mum and have these conversations with her and you know, one of the things that I've talked to her about recently was um, periods and how when I was younger, there were so many women around me who just wouldn't say the word yeah. period. And even the two of us, like, we we never... Like, we talked about it, but it was always hushed, you know? I, I felt like that's been something that I've been able to bring back to her, that, like, it's all right for us to talk about it and it's OK to talk about the menopause and yeah. be loud and proud about it, you know? So it's been nice to sort of have this full circle thing where she's given me so much sort of encouragement and support in order to get me to a point where I can go out and learn about this topic myself and then sort of bring it back to her and we've learned from each other. Yeah, so. I think I've had a really similar thing with my mum and it's really funny because every time she says to me, like, oh, you're teaching me so much about these things. I'm like, well, I only am it because of you. Yeah. But it's just, I guess, different. I feel very lucky that we're part of this generation that is very informed and can read a lot and we can all talk online. And yeah. I think that we're just so fortunate to have that that we can almost bring it back in a different way. And it's definitely allowed me, I think, to appreciate my mum even more yeah. because she didn't have a word to describe all of the feelings that she had or the opinions that she had or whatever 
but she still was all those things yeah. and that's quite cool it's so much yeah. harder I mean yeah. I can read a book about feminism and be like that's what I want to be but am, it's a lot yeah. harder to come up with it yourself yeah. I'm very fascinated by Irish women and feminism and empowerment because I think in a lot of ways Irish women kind of embody what it means to be a strong woman and yeah. Irish mothers are very much matriarchs and you know head of the families and it's an amazing there are amazing women come out of the country mm. but it's also as we've seen this year, can be very behind in its attitudes to women and their bodies and their rights and their control. How have you felt specifically growing up as an Irish woman and what that meant for how you saw being a woman and feminism? I have to say, um, I felt incredibly strong um, and empowered as an Irish woman. And I still do. And I'm fascinated by girls from Ireland and how obviously not everyone's the same but there's there is a fire in our belly I find Completely. and I think that comes from generations and generations of as you say sort of being the matriarch and and going it alone um I think there were so many women that were living in in such sort of abject poverty that really just had to like carry on with a family of you know seven kids or more yeah. and not complain about it and just sort of do it um, and that instills uh, just this strength in you that I think carries on for you know for generations um, and so I think we all have a little bit of that you know um, and I think there's something as well about just like coming from quite a small country and in a way feeling like an underdog but then being able to rise up yeah. ultimately and and um achieve so much and I think that's something that we've shown this year that like the youth of Ireland um more than anything have have been given a voice that I don't think we had before you know yeah um and but I also think it's a specifically Irish voice and that's yeah. what's so amazing is like everything that happened around repeal the eighth which was so incredible yeah was so true to everything i know about you and your family and your friends and just this strength and unwillingness like not to back down yeah and and a sense of community yeah. you know and i think th again that that comes from um growing up in a very very small intimate place you know everyone mm -hmm. does essentially know each other and um and so with that comes a real togetherness I think you know um there there isn't what what I love about us is that there isn't as much of a class system at home everyone comes together in such a an absolute way um yeah. and and I think we really sort of demonstrated that this year but but the wonderful thing about it to hear women speak about it and and um, be so active was that I think it's something that's exists again it's something that's been in us all along yeah. it's been this fire that's been burning for so long yeah and finally it just tipped over and you know the floodgates opened and there's something really exciting about that that this this is something that's been brewing for a very very long time and and when it did eventually sort of like explode onto the Irish saying it 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 was it was kind of unstoppable, you know? Yeah. I almost, this is really mad, but I almost sometimes feel like we have the strongest laws to hold the strongest women back. Mm. Like, 
you know, yeah. there's something <laughs> so powerful about Irish women and you can almost imagine this group of male politicians thousands of years ago being like, if we let the Irish women yeah. go free, like, yeah. they'll take over the world. Well, I mean, there's, there's so many Irish women as well that, like, fought in the Troubles and fought yeah. during the 1916 Rising as well and, and because they had to, you know. Yeah. And they saw their men going out to fight and, and wanted to be a part of it. And even right now, this is moving over to America, but, like... You know, I'm about to do a little women and reading about Louisa May Alcott and how determined she was, her and her mother, to be kind of at the front line as much as possible yeah. in any way they could. And she became a nurse for a few months during the war and um, that completely changed her. And that and she was such a strong woman and she was kept down for so long by, in particular, her father, you know. Um, but yeah, I think that's so true. I think when when someone's very clearly got this strength, they're they're kept down. Yeah, completely. One of the th- major themes behind this book is the lies that we've been told about what it means to be a woman, or what mm. it means to be a man, or what it means to be a feminist, um, as you can see in the title. Um, <laughs> and I think one of the things we're going to do on this podcast is just talk a bit about other lies, which is in the title, mm. um, that you might have been told about feminism or being a woman that you kind of... For me, there's been so many things that I just thought were true. And yeah. then growing up, so much of my adulthood and becoming a woman, I think, has been about realising that so many of them aren't true and they yeah. would, they're they just, you know, prejudice or opinions or things that I've internalised that you know, are in no ways fact. And also that there's so much that's that's generalised as well. There's mm. so much that's sort of thought to be true for everyone. Yeah. Which I think Completely. is another real misconception. And it can really put pressure on people to be a certain thing. And that's that's another thing even with what you've taught me about feminism is that, like, it's different for everyone, you yeah. know? You know, especially in your industry this has been a very vocal year for feminism. Mm. And sometimes you can start, and it's been incredible and so beautiful to watch, but sometimes you can start thinking like, oh, I haven't had that experience. Does feminism apply to me? Or, oh, this was different for me. Does it apply to me? But actually, feminism can be... It applies to everyone. It hurts men as much as it hurts women. Mm -hmm. It just... It is... However you come into it is different. And I think that's something I really want this book to show is there's no one way. Yeah. But do you have any lies? Well, I was thinking about it and one of the things that I haven't experienced myself but I've definitely seen happen to other women is that there seems to be this sort of sort of general rule that, you know, every woman will have a child. Yeah. Um, because that's natural and that's what your body is here for and that's its purpose and that's your purpose therefore yeah. and in the industry that I that we both work in um there's so many women who have chosen not to go down that route yeah and have been very happy and fulfilled by going down other avenues instead whether it's their work or sort of just having a partner and being happy with that or being on their own or whatever um and yeah, there's one friend of mine in particular who's very successful and um, 
just doesn't really feel very maternal and loves her nieces and nephews, but that's never something that she's really wanted. Yeah. And um, and I've seen how, how people have sort of like cast judgment on her for that, you know? You do, and you get... And also people never really... I feel like people never believe that you just don't... Exactly. ...want it. Like, it's so mad. I mean, and I often think that might be why... I mean, it's so, yeah, it's yeah, so A hard. thing that they say, a thing that somebody said to my friend was, oh, you just haven't met the right guy. Mm. So it always kind of comes back to that a yeah. little bit. Um, it's like, oh, it's just because she's alone and she hasn't met anyone and she obviously can't be happy. So, um, <laughs> I also But she really is. <laughs> there's a funny thing around women choosing their work. Mm. Like, I so often choose my work over, I mean, probably too much, but you know, over relationships and I love my work and you are seen as like having a bit of a problem and people kind of think it's, instead of it just being like, oh, that's what she likes, this person likes her boyfriend, this person likes cooking, this person likes kids. Like it's, it's always, I feel like women who love their work is kind of seen as a bit of a dodgy thing. Yeah, and like it, it, shouldn't, it shouldn't be all there is and it shouldn't be. I no. mean, I, I think... Or maybe it should be. I don't know. I mean, I, personally, I, I think it's it's certainly healthy for me to have a, a bit of everything and yeah. to have, you know, a, a personal life that I pay attention to and give time to. And But also work, my work gives me something that nothing or no one else can. And yeah. that will include a child, you know, in the same way that, like, if anyone chooses to have a child, the experience that you'll have and what you'll you know, receive from that experience is like nothing else. So, um, but, but yeah, you know, I I have, I have a mother who completely devoted herself to me um, and is very happy that she did that and wouldn't change it for the world. But like, it was hard, you know, it was like, and I, I told you this before that I asked her, recently the whole idea of love and and is it like an instant thing or is it something that takes time is something Mm. that um I've been thinking about more and more and I find it really interesting because in books and films and songs as brilliant as it is to listen to a classic you know R&B tune about (laughs) you know I knew I knew straight away but um I was so I asked her I was like do you think that's true like even even with your kid and stuff and she was like well you know I knew when I met you <laughs> that I was going to protect you with my life yeah. and with all of my being forever but I didn't know you yet yeah <laughs> and I was like yeah that's actually a really good point you didn't know me yet and I didn't know you and she was like the love I have for you now doesn't compare to to anything else because I know you and yeah. like we've known each other for 24 years and that's a really long time and we'll continue to like let that love grow you know I think my mum likes me now more than she ever has yeah I think I'm really growing on her I think it's so taken too a while. I've seen that even in the last year yeah she loves you a lot more now yeah. <laughs> <laughs> almost as much as me I know, maybe it's the pink hair, I don't know. You're in an industry that a lot of people can kind of talk about being particularly tough on women or, you know, there's been a lot of everything that's been happening with Me Too in the last year and I know you've gotten a million questions since then. What has kind of stood out to you of the questions you get asked or the way that everything's changed since then? 
the questions specifically about me too. Yeah, that you've been asked since me too. I mean, I suppose the question that everyone asked was, has it changed yet? Yeah. Have we changed it yet? And I just sort of think and keep saying, well, we're in the process of that, but it's going to, like everything, it's going to take time. And I think, you know, with the work that you're doing, with the work that everyone at Time's Up is doing and and other organisations that are sort of supporting the same thing, um, there's a lot of work that needs to go into it, you know. Um, But, yeah, I think that's the question I'd get asked the most. And, And then also people would just ask me, like had I ever had that experience mm. and I think I was very very lucky that I was I was protected mm. um from an awful lot of it mainly by my mum yeah. um but I also worked with really really brilliant filmmakers that um didn't want to work like that and yeah. wanted to have a very sort of wholesome loving environment to do work in um I also think a lot of the parts you've played, even from when you were really young, haven't been kind of the traditional love interest or leading no. lady. It's always been kind of weird girls that eat <laughs> yeah, that eggs. Are on their own. <laughs> yeah, on their own. <laughs> um, do you, was there ever a stage where you were kind of competitive or jealous or thought like, I wish I was the princess or the, you know? Um... I mean, listen, you're always going to... You'd be lying if you said that, you know, if there was a part you wanted and you didn't get it, you weren't like, God damn it, I'm going to get that girl. Um, I didn't do that. I didn't kill anyone (laughs) to get a part, I promise. Um, But, but, you know, that that was something that came with it. And that's one of the things that I've noticed has has really changed, is that there's a camaraderie now between women that I don't think existed as much before or I I didn't feel it as much before and what I've noticed as well is that like you know there were so many films that I was in growing up where I was the only kid and I was the only girl yeah um and it's still only a recent thing that I'm working with other girls my own age Mm. I'm just about to do that again and I can't wait yeah and we're all really excited about it and we're all really supportive of each other and we all have a really important part to play in the story that that we're you know going to put on screen sometimes I think one of the reasons I'm so obsessed with feminism is that a lot of my natural instincts go against it so right I can be very competitive Mm. and I can compare myself to other women a lot and get very jealous and I think a lot of it was being quite secluded as a teen and feeling like I wasn't measuring up to, you know, all these other girls that were around me and because, of you know, because I wasn't well. And I think you are so incredible in not comparing yourself or putting yourself down from what other people are doing and especially with women. Was that always in you or did it come? I don't know. I mean... I- I, I definitely put myself down for sure and and um you know I'd like to think that in the last 15 years I've been plain sailing and I've been fine to you know do my own thing or whatever but you do naturally compare yourself of course you do yeah. to other people and I I think I don't know at a certain point especially when you do feel like there's enough room for everyone 
you start feeling that less and less. You start to feel like, okay, she's doing her thing and she's brilliant at that. Yeah. And he's doing his thing and he's really great at that and I'm going to do my thing over here and maybe we'll come together and we'll work together. And um, I think it takes some of that competitiveness away, you know. Mm. Um, and I definitely worked with a lot of older women mm. that I really looked up to and they really looked after me. Um which made a massive difference. Yeah. So I think in that way, working with the likes of, I don't know, Rachel Vice, Susan Strand, and Kira, yeah, um, people like that, they they were all so Catherine Zeta Jones, like they were all really really lovely to me, and that was something that I, of course, wanted to pass on to yeah. any young person coming up because it made such a, a huge difference to me to have anyone older come along and take me under their wing and give me time, you know. There is something so incredible. I think I was always very obsessed with female role models and women and girls that were older than me and there is something so amazing about when a woman like that, like, brings you in and supports you and gives you their love and I think I'm this, like, I so love doing that to other people. I used to have a post-it note on my wall, which was very soppy, but it said, a rising tide lifts all ships. Yeah. And I think it's that thing when you, if you have mostly have had adult friends and Mm. then you start to make friends, especially with a lot of girls your own age, and you maybe do have those competitive feelings come in or just realising that these are the people that you're going to come up with. Yeah. And these are the people, and if you can, everything good that I've ever done in my life has been with groups of women and yeah. groups of people and and this is the thing you can either fight against it and be alone or you can you know join forces yeah. and be even better than you would be if yeah. you were stood alone you know and something I love particularly about kind of with the history of the women's movement is that so much of it has been done in groups like we you don't yeah. you know we don't think about these individual people, like you might have Gandhi or Martin Luther King, you think about the suffragettes mm. or, you know, the Combahee River Collective or anything. It, it's amazing. Um, so your piece in the book is the first piece in the book and it comes under... So you split the book up into the five stages of feminism. Right. Um, and yours comes under the first stage, which is, which is epiphany, mm-hmm. which I kind of like to think of as that moment when you, exactly what we've been talking about, when you realise that all these things you've been feeling your whole life have a name and they fit into something yeah. and there's a whole group of amazing people very that fight for it and they all have pink hair and cool badges. <laughs> <laughs> all of them. Yeah. Um, I think something that's really interesting to um, me about your piece is that you've got a section about boys. And I think that's something we've talked about a lot and that I feel very strongly, which is, you know, a lot of women do feel like there's this idea that feminism is man-hating and Mm. boys and men can't be a part of it. against them kind of thing. Yeah, and we both have a lot of incredible men in Mm. our lives that have helped us in so many ways. And I think it's so important at a really early stage in your journey into feminism to realise that men are a huge part of it. Yeah. But how do they fit in? What, how did, for you, how did this bit come about? I mean, you know, I went to a very small primary school in the countryside mm-hmm. and there was like 50 of us in the whole school. 
um, for a long time in my class alone, there was just myself and another boy. Oh. And when we made our Holy Communion, we looked like we were getting married. Oh my gosh. And, <laughs> but I, I just always grew up around as many boys as girls. And because there was so few of us in the school, we were all just lumped in together. Yeah. So like, there wasn't, there weren't enough boys in the school just to have like a boys football team and a girls football team Mm. we had to all play together because there wasn't enough of us (laughs) so sport was a thing for me I realised when I was writing this actually that um, that really um, helped me to see myself in in the same group as the other gender and just didn't really didn't differentiate at all for um, a very long time and then moving into film at a very early age too I was just surrounded by a lot of guys that's one of the things that I've realised is that there's definitely more um, you know men on film sets than than yeah. girls it's always very exciting to see like a girl boom up or a camera yeah, yeah. operator or whatever um, but yeah I was surrounded by incredible men from a very early age um, in work and just in my personal life and then in school as well and they are as much a part of my story as as women are you know and I just felt like it was important to for me um even in my sort of early years of discovering feminism which is now to not become one of those people that's like it's us against them I don't want to do that because you can naturally start to go down that route when you're figuring out what it all means and how you fit into it and you go like well you guys just don't understand and you've got to sort of put a lid on that and and be open and sort of understanding and I think it was just really important for me to sort of say that um we are a team boys and girls men and women we have to be a team and there's experiences that men will also go through that girls don't understand and they can only talk to the other one about it they can only talk to other guys about it and I feel like feminism has actually given them the means to do that that there's sort of I mean I've always been surrounded by um very sort of emotionally available men um, who have been very, very open and stuff. And, yeah, and I just felt like they've been as much of an inspiration to me as girls have. So I wanted to include them in it, you know. And I think I always say that the patriarchy can hurt men as much as it hurts women. And feminism can help men as much as it helps women. Yeah. Most men haven't picked a book about feminism. Most men haven't been through this, but it doesn't mean you can't understand Mm. and it doesn't mean we can't all learn together because I often don't really understand either. Like, everyone has moments of confusion and I think, you know, I've got three younger brothers who you know very well. um, I do. And I've been kind of trying to train them up to be little feminists, but they get it and they love it and they love learning about it. And and, the, and this is the thing is that, as you say, it is a journey for all of us and we're yeah. all sort of figuring it out and the more we're able to sort of respect each other and help each other along, the better, you know? Yeah. Because none of us have all the answers to anything. Like any any topic or any movement or any idea, nobody has it all figured out. So all we can we, we need as many people as possible to sort of help us along. Yeah. And we can't really do it without men either, you know. And I and I love that. I really yeah. like that sense of community that I feel like hopefully feminism can can bring out in us, you know. 
Completely, I love that. I think that's a very lovely place to start wrapping things up. I just want to ask one final question, which is, if you had one piece of advice to give to a younger woman, what would it be? Um, the younger women you so kindly patronise. Yeah, the ones, that, the ones that are 23, 22 as opposed to 24. Who are doing much bigger films yeah. than me. Um, one day you'll get to be in a tiny indie what, film yeah, too. One, one day you'll get paid scale. <laughs> um, I guess, I don't know, the only piece of advice that you can give to anyone younger is... And you can continue giving this piece of advice until the day you die, is that it's all right not to have it all figured out. And it's all right to sometimes feel a little bit crap about yourself because I promise you, tomorrow or the next day, you won't. And it'll be the tiniest little thing that will that will make a difference and will make you feel like you've got everything ahead of you. It could be one person that comes into your life it could be one conversation it could be um a teacher at school it could be a book that you read like feminists don't wear pink in other lives <laughs> it could be anything we're very we're very fragile little creatures mm. us humans and um and anything could come along at the drop of a hat and and change everything forever and for the better so always remember that. I love that so much. I want to <laughs> extract that and put it as my ringtone. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's Sarah. I better get this. Yeah, no, anyone calls me. You will be fine. One day you can change everything. You'll just miss the call because you'll be like crying in a yeah. corner. <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you. You are my best friend and I love you. And thank you for coming on here. Thank you, best friend. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening to this podcast. If you've enjoyed it, or even if you didn't, we'd love to hear from you. So make sure you subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Feminists Don't Wear Pink and Other Lies, published by Penguin Random House on the 4th of October 2018, is available to buy now via the link in the description of this episode. All of the royalties from each book sold go to the amazing UN organisation Girl Up, who is supporting girls across the world. For more information and to join our gang, please follow us on Instagram at, at @feminists. Thank you so much to Audio Boom for helping us get it out there and to the wonderful Pink Feminists who've joined us as guests. If you enjoyed this episode, we have some really fun feminist events coming up with even more of our contributors and we would love to have you. There's a link to our website where you can buy tickets in the description of this episode and I cannot wait to see you there. Okay. I don't know what I just said. Yay! <laughs> yeah. You're trying to be like cool and calm. And exactly. be like, I'm comfortable with my feminism. Yeah. But you end up being like, but, uh, but, but feminism, but Beyonce, it's just, you need to understand. <laughs> just say I'm right. Um, okay. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot, maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com.